I am your host, Randy Lee Boslaw. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Peter Topside. And if you notice my beautiful sweater here, I've got some of the merch in. I finally got my sweater. So sorry, I'm busy ending the stigma. If you want to grab your copy of uh, your sweater or t-shirt, water bottle, mug, variety of items on the merch store. And remember that 10% of those proceeds are going to go back to the Canadian Mental Health Association. So not only are you helping the channel, getting some cool merch, but you are also supporting mental health. So lots of great stuff. All right, let's get to the interview. Welcome, Peter. Super excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. And Peter just told me that this is his first one. So we are all very excited to help you with your very first interview for the podcasting world. Awesome. He's like, oh, no, I didn't know you were going to tell everybody. <gasps> no, it's all good. Go gentle. Be gentle with me. <laughs> always, always. Uh, so tell everybody a little bit about who the heck Peter is. Um, well, I, I grew up in uh, New Jersey. Um, I'm a, a clinical exercise physiologist by trade, and I've been in the field for just about just about 20 years, which is pretty crazy. I feel like it was just yesterday I was going through college. Okay. This, this might be crossing the line, but how old are you? Because you don't look like you should be in that field for 20 years. I know. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm um, just about 40. So I'm okay. So you got into it like right away then. Yeah, I um, right out of high school, right right in the college, did my four-year degree. Um, in college, I was like throughout the four years, either interning in, you know, hospitals or uh, medical fitness centers or, you know, um, working in the field and like, you know, doing temp work and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and right off the bat, I think I had my first job within like four or five days after graduating. So I remember oh. right Oh, that's really cool. All right. So you still are young then. Oh yeah. No, no, of course. Yeah. You just got into it right away. So that's, that's why I said it feels weird saying almost 20 years. I'm like, wow, it's been that long. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love it. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep telling us about who you are. No, you're fine. Um, so like I said, I'm, I'm a you know clinical exercise physiologist and um, I'm married to a lovely lady named Erica, and I have a beautiful daughter named Melody, and she's about seven and a half, and they're the pride and joy of my life. And um, and yeah, um, I've uh, I've been writing, and I know again this this sounds funny. Um, I started writing when I was about like just about ten years old. You know what? I've had people say they've been writing since they were like five. So okay, good. So I feel better. <laughs> Yeah, making crayon books, it's all good. Right, right. <laughs> but I was, you know, I started out writing a lot of like little short stories and I always really liked um, uh, creative writing classes and English classes all through elementary and, uh, you know, high school and college and everything. I always loved it. And um, my first book, which is Preternatural, I um, self-published it in September of 2019. Okay. That book, was kind of like my pride and joy that that took me almost 25 years to really get to the point wow like I mean I wrote uh an entire separate book that that of the same plot but I ended up sitting on it for a year or two and being like you know I, I just I don't like it as much yeah. and I scrapped it rewrote everything and uh it was a very long process and like I said I, I'm a 
I guess that's where the OCD kicks in a little bit. I really am like a perfectionist where I want the, the book and I want it to be to, to a certain standard. Where I was like, hey world, here's my book. Hope you like it. That is fantastic. And I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, I'll admit, haven't got to it yet. That's <laughs> Actually, right. both, I feel like I say that a lot in these interviews just because there's there's this huge list of books. And actually I just got another one in the mail today. So excited. I love when I open my mailbox and there's a package that I didn't order because that means that I didn't spend the money. <laughs> and got a bill. Right. So those are my favorite things to get in the mail. So I just got one in the mail. I was so excited. Nice. Um, my kid is distracting me over there. <laughs> weirdo love you uh, so uh you taught you mentioned ocd so mm -hmm. want to tell people what that really is so obsessive compulsive disorder um at least the way it was explained to me by you know my kind of my therapist um it's it's a, a mental health issue where um it, it's it's almost like things have to be a certain way or it makes you really uncomfortable um, and some people have differing degrees of it. Um, so for instance, like myself, um, I'm like a, a, a neat freak. I, I have like a spotless house and, you know, anything out of place just unnerves me a little bit. And um, it, it is a daily struggle. And, and I'm at a point where I, I, I manage it a fair amount, but it's, it's still like a daily thing. And um, Again, depending, you know, I know there's people with it much worse than like myself, um, where they're like, they have to like flick light switches 20 times and check doorknobs a dozen times. And there's just all sorts of different variants of the condition. But it's, it's just like I said, something where if things are in a certain way, it's, it's just makes you very, very um, just feel out of sorts. Okay. And when did you start noticing that you were experiencing these symptoms? Well, I, I had a really rough upbringing and uh, my parents weren't huge advocates of mental health services. And, and again, going back years ago, it wasn't really, a, it was there, but it wasn't as predominant as it is nowadays. Um, so, you know, growing up with parents that had OCD, I always just kind of assumed like, oh, this is, it's normal. It's, you know, as a little kid, it was just the standard. Okay. Uh, but it wasn't until I think I got to be probably around high school. And I just started noticing and that's when I first started having things like uh, anxiety attacks, and it sort of built up to a certain amount. Um, that's when I started really taking notice of like, you know, why, why does my, my jacket have to be hung a certain way? Why do I have to check my alarm 10 times before I go to sleep at night? Like, it's just little things like that, I would start questioning it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And when did you finally go seek help for it? So grow again, growing up with being a certain way, um, I, I was always kind of uh, shied away from mental health services. I always just felt like it was, you know, something weak people did just to make themselves feel better. And all the therapist did was, you know, tell you to take deep breaths and that you're, there's nothing wrong with you. And just, just kind of like padded you up. Um, and I started having some issues I'd say probably a year or two into being married and I was just having like these and I had anxiety attacks before but they were getting pretty bad 
and we were having some issues between my wife and I between ourselves and we ended up going to couples therapy for probably four or five years. Okay. Uh, and that was, that was, I think I was around maybe 30 or a little before that, at that point. And we went through the therapy, you know, we, we completed it after, like I said, a couple of years. And then um, there was some life circumstances, maybe a couple of years after that, that really put me in a bad spot. And I wasn't sleep. I was maybe getting an hour or two sleep a night. I, uh, I had a really bad panic attack in the middle of a work day. And I was at the point where I couldn't leave the house. I was, I didn't know what was wrong. I couldn't think straight. I just felt dizzy. I, I, like I said, I've had anxiety attacks before and they're very scary, but like that was my first full-fledged panic attack. And that I literally felt like I was dying. It was the scariest I've ever experienced. And that, that all prompted me to start seeing a therapist by myself. And uh, I started seeing a, um, my psychiatrist and luckily both of them were great fits from the get-go so I didn't have to open around the different providers uh, yeah and that 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 honest honest to God took me about I'd say three years after that to get me back in some kind of a good good position um, okay. but it was a long road it was very tough and you know it, like I said about the OCD it's you know it's still a daily struggle but it's the, the tools I've learned in therapy and with the, the medication regimen I'm on, it's, it's, it's much more manageable at this point. Okay. So we're going to come back to the coping strategies and the medication and stuff, but <laughs> let's go back a little bit and talk about the anxiety because you've mentioned the panic attacks. When did you have your first, so you told us when you had your first full-fledged panic attack, but when did you notice your first like anxiety um, attack? Well, I had, and again, I didn't know what certain things were growing up. Just knew like, okay, I had a bad night. I didn't sleep or I'm just feeling a little uptight about a presentation at school. Like little stuff, again, was normal. Um, my first anxiety attack um, was, I think it was in like, was that ninth grade maybe? And I was giving a presentation on the book Fahrenheit 451. Okay. And I, I was always one of those kids I was, because again, I was, they always said I was shy growing up, but it was little do we know it was actually anxiety at that point. Um, I was always very good at public speaking. And I remember I was usually maybe the first or second person to always volunteer to like do a presentation just to get it over with. Yeah, and, me too. Right, right. And then I went up and I was, I was reading the report and I just remember feeling my hand shaking and it, I'm like, what, what's this, you know? And then I just couldn't see straight. I, my whole body started quivering. I, my mouth got super dry. I almost couldn't form words with my, my mouth. It was just a very weird experience. And, um, and I remember the, the teacher was kind of like chuckling behind me as was everybody in the class. And, and it was one of those things like I never had that happen before. I didn't know what it was. I was kind of scared, but I was embarrassed at the same time uh. and giving the report. Um, but when I went home and I think I had told my, um, my mom about it at the time, it was just kind of passed off. Like, oh, you were just nervous. It's fine. You're, you're okay. You're fine. You know, it was just left over and done with. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. Wow. That would be, that'd be pretty scary. Like you're doing this presentation, you start to shake. And then you said the other kids were kind of chuckling. Yeah, the teacher was too, that's, yeah. What? That's got to increase it 10 times. Uh, quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. My my kid over here is whispering, oh, yeah, definitely. 
<laughs> uh, he has also experienced panic attacks. Oh, I'm I, sorry to hear that. It's, it's the, hard. the first one that I can remember him having was he was about, I want to say five. Wow. Five years old, extreme panic attack to the point that I we didn't know what it was because we didn't realize at the time that he had anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, my five-year-old says that his chest hurts really bad and his heart is hurting. And so we, we went to the hospital. We had no idea what to do because like I knew about mental health, but again, we didn't know that he had it. Mm-hmm. So we went to the hospital, they do, what is that? The EKG thing. Yep. And the heart was fine and they go through everything. And yeah, it turns out it was just an extreme panic attack mm-hmm. at five yeah, that's I've never heard of one that young, but I'm sorry that oh, happened. You're chuckling. Would you like to say hi? No, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> um, he's he's a big reason that I started the show too. Like I have my own depression, but he's he's a big reason for the show to get the spread the word that it happens to everybody at any age, and you know, we can all have issues. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like when I remember when I when I published my my the first book a couple of years ago, um, I'd written kind of in the <clears throat> before the book started, I just wrote a little like note that said this is not based on anyone um, specific and things like that, because I was still at the point I wasn't I wasn't 100 percent ready to like let everybody know, like some of the things you're reading here are directly related to things with experience myself because I didn't want to, I didn't know how personal I want to get with it yeah because once you put it out there you don't know what's going to come back to you but um true, it's true I mean I dove right in and told my life story so <laughs> but, there's, but there's nothing my, my wife is like that too there's nothing wrong with that I, I admire yeah. people who do that because you're if you're an open book like yeah. it, is what it is if somebody yeah. else can't handle it that's their problem but you're just exactly being- and I don't I don't mention names other than my own because again it's their story to tell their side of it, but sometimes my side involves one or two people. <laughs> right, right. Huh. But uh, but no, it's definitely important to, to, and I know it's. I'm very happy to see that it's uh, it's gotten more kind of airtime, and it's it's a much more um, relatable thing that more and more people are admitting they have these mental health issues these days. Yeah. It makes you definitely more comfortable, kind of being open with it. Exactly. We'll see that. My kid says, and not something to be frowned upon. Right. No, not at all. Exactly. Um, so the other thing that I noticed on your pre-questionnaire thing, PTSD. You have not mentioned that, so I'm going to bring it up. Sure. <laughs> uh, so like I said, I had, I had a really rough upbringing, um, and that's kind of the best way to encompass all of it. Um, I had a, a father who was a very um, hearty alcoholic. Uh, he uh, he was very abusive, not so much physically, like there were a few times I got shoved to the floor or he shoved my mom and things. I don't think he ever touched my sister, but um, it wasn't so much hitting, but it was it was just constant berating. Um, he would browbeat my mom like every hour or two on the hour. Um, like I said, when he would drink, there was, plenty of times we would come home all of our toys would be stomped out and broken he would trash the house Mm -hmm. he would you know 
if he thought we were lying about something, which was fairly often, he would make us, uh, even on like weekends, go to our elementary school by herself, try to find a janitor to let us into a classroom to get tests that he thought we were lying about our grades on to bring home for him to review. Oh my goodness. It just, and, and, you know, he would, he would sometimes do things, or I shouldn't say sometimes he often did things to the neighbors. So the cops were at the house a lot. Um, so growing up early on, that was a lot to take in. Yeah. Yeah. I had had a really bad accident in elementary school when I was about seven, just about my daughter's age, actually. Um, and I had broken my, my femur, which is the biggest bone in the body in my left leg. Yeah. Things were much different you know, almost, you know, like 30 years ago. Um, so I was, I almost died a couple of times in the hospital. I got really sick. I, I um, they had me on and off painkillers. So I had a lot of withdrawals from some, from like the morphine and things like that. Um, and I, I was put in traction, which meant they basically took an 18 inch screw while I was awake and they drilled it through my leg. And literally, I just remember thinking like they told my you know, and again, I'm a little kid. I'm scared, you know. Well, that's, yeah, I'm picturing this little seven-year-old boy. Right, and I don't know what's wrong with me. I just know that my my leg is messed up. I'm in the hospital. I see the doctor walk in with like a Black & Decker drill and <gasps> I see the nurse grab my hand and she goes, hold my hand, you know, as hard as you need to. <gasps> I was wide awake and they drilled it through my leg and it stayed oh, for about six weeks. I was like that. I couldn't move. I was stuck in the hospital. Um, like I said, I was having a lot of, um, I wouldn't eat. I was very depressed. I, I wouldn't, I just basically laid there and watched, you know, and that was before like they had cable in the hospital. So there was like five channels um, yeah. were coming in that day, depending on the rabbit ears, you know, if you remember those, yeah. Yeah. but I, I was, I was, uh, I was in a really bad depression and I remember it was in the middle of a bad winter. So there were a lot of times that like, if there was two feet of snow on the ground, nobody could come visit me. Um, a room by myself so I didn't have like a roommate or any other like little kids around me um so like I said I wasn't eating I, I wasn't sleeping I was on and off medications having a lot of bad withdrawal symptoms and then there was um of course taking the pin out of my leg which was another wide awake so I had to go through it a second time and then I was in therapy for about a year and on restrictions for another two years after that so it was a very long uh, process. Um, and then there were concerns that my, my leg wouldn't grow properly. So I was on kind of watch till I was 18. Uh, but even going back to the hospital, there was, there was not like these days where you have like therapists walking around and stuff. It was just like, okay, the kid's freaking out, you know, shoot him up with something. He'll calm down. So I was yeah. becoming from a really stressful environment being put into this environment yeah. and piled. And, and I remember there was, um, <clears throat> you know, I didn't really come out of that. I was in a deep funk for quite a while. And I remember there were a lot of days I would just kind of pray to die, you know, like really intense stuff. Again, we're talking like a seven, eight year old kid. Um, I, I just didn't know what else to do. And like, as my, my, my mother at one point mentioned, oh, your father started, you know, drinking because of your injury, like a lot of bad stuff oh, that's going from like, there. Right, right. And it was like going from one bad situation to now this traumatic injury, going back into the bad situation at home. And now I was stuck home because of, you know, the restrictions and I wasn't in school yeah. for a while. Um, you know, it was just all kind of leading up to that. 
anxiety attack in high school and a panic attack when I got a little older because I never, I never got the treatment um, that I probably should have gotten early on. And it just, like I said, just all piled up and eventually um, on an emotional level, I just cracked, you know? Yeah. Wow. So, you know, between that, the, the PTSD from the injury, which I, I still have issues from as far as like my sleep habits are bad because of all that, um, you know. Are you okay with telling us what happened? It was a soccer accident in school. Oh, okay. It collided with somebody bigger than me. It was, we weren't supposed to be out there. It was icy and the teachers left out anyway. And it, I, we hit each other. I went down. And then after I broke the leg, I, I stood up on it like three times. <laughs> Oh, I felt it really split fully, you know, when I did it, but, but I didn't know what was wrong for us. So yeah. yeah. Wow. But after all that happened, like I said, I went back to school. Um, I was always looked viewed as being shy, but I got picked on a lot by not so much the other kids. It was, it was by like the teachers. I always had one or two teachers every year that used to just like target me. And I, I was always like a B plus student. I was pretty good. I did my work. I volunteered. Like I, I didn't do anything to like deliberately give a teacher the hard time, you know, where yeah. I was expecting that negative attention, but, but like clockwork every year. And it was, believe it or not, mostly English teachers. I had one teacher. Yes. Every, the English, were, I'm sorry. In high school, my, most of my English teachers were not nice. No. And, and like I said, me I'm an author. Right. <laughs> But I, I actually, like, I remember I had a couple of creative writing teachers tell me your stories are too creative. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, it's, how is that even possible? Right, right. So it made no sense. And they would try to like fail me. And, and then again, I'd be scared and petrified to tell my parents, but then they would have to get involved when it was getting to a certain level. And it was, it was like clockwork every year. And, you know, I was also very active in our, our church growing up, which was kind of pushed on me by my my mother because she used to use that as like the only that was one of the only ways she could actually get out of the house away from my father and have you so there would be plenty of times that uh, I'd be like you know 104 degree fever I'd be throwing up and then she would still force me to go to church just to get herself out of the house and I also had took a lot of um uh, abuse there because I was basically doing like five people's worth of work um the other kids in my classes wouldn't show up, wouldn't do their duties, and always got put on me. And then the, at one point, the pastor did a sermon about, you know, how I, sh I had no right. He, tar he actually, like, didn't by name, but he was talking about me. He said I, I had no right to feel burned out, even though I was doing, like, 20, 30 hours a week of church work on top of school. Yeah. It was As a kid. Right. So, so now you have this, again, perfect environment of a nasty home life. Uh, bad church environment, uh, yeah. targeting me. So I never really got a break ever. I was just like one thing or the other. I was getting kind of smashed on. Um, and like I said, I just kind of, you know, did as I was told. I just kind of shoveled it inside and put in that little bubble in your your abdomen, and then uh, yeah. it just it just burst and everything came out. And uh, you know, I, I again wish I had the knowledge I have now that I you know should have had. Yeah years ago yeah if only we knew then what we know now right right actually the first chapter in my in my newest book is writing a letter to my younger self about what i know now that you should have known back then so it's kind of kind of funny right um 
so now let's dive into the, to the therapy. Cause I think unless you have something else to add about the other stuff. Nope. Okay. Um, so let's dive into the therapy. So you said you started with uh, couples counseling first with your wife mm-hmm. and you, know, you don't have to tell us anything about that, <laughs> but she might get mad at us. Right. Uh, but then from there, I guess you must've learned that therapy was good. Yeah, we had a great therapist. Um, she was, I, I always kind of said she hit with soft gloves because sometimes she would say things and it sounded blunt, but she used to word it and do it in a way that you would hit you hard at first, but then you would be like, she's right. Like, I get it. Like it yeah. would, you'd quickly cope with it. Oh, that's good. Um, but yeah, definitely, it definitely warmed me up to the, um, the idea of the individual therapy. And then, like I said, I still had that little resistance, but then after the panic attack, I, I literally had no choice. I couldn't, I could, I could barely like move. That's how depressed I was. Yeah. Yeah. I got to the point that it was affecting your life to the point that you kind of didn't have a life anymore. Right. It was all gone. I, I didn't know if I was going to keep my job. I didn't know what was going to, like what was wrong with me. I just, I was just a mess for, for, you know, a while. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what did you learn in therapy? What are some of the best coping skills that you learn? So therapy was intense and I, I really went into it full force. I, I wasn't afraid to really get to the root of what was happening because it had been a lifelong struggle. And I just said, if I'm going to do this, I, I want it done. I'm going to do this the right way. Yeah. Um, so we started off, you know, I, I, w- I was having intense nightmares and and one of my therapist specialties was like dream analysis so so she would really piece together certain things and and what it all ultimately came down to was um i i shouldn't be ashamed of how i feel yes and that was always something again i was taught growing up was like don't let anybody see your weaknesses and um you know, do what you have to do to, to step on everyone else and get by. And it was just a really like cutthroat kind of mindset. Yeah. Um, but for the first time, she really was like, you know, you've had a rough life so far. And, you know, my parents at that point were one was passed. And I wasn't on speaking terms with my father at that point. Um, we don't associate with my wife's family because they're they're equally as abusive as well. So we're you know, my wife and I have always each held at least one to two jobs apiece. We're raising my daughter. We have no help. Um, and we don't ever get a break. So, you know, it, we just have kind of tough circumstances. And, and you know how hard it is with, with a little one. Oh, yeah. So, you know, one of the big things was, she, you know, my therapist is like, don't be ashamed. You, you guys have it rough. And you've, had, you, you've gotten beat up quite a bit in your life. Like, don't, don't be ashamed of it. Yeah. It, it, you're not going to sit here and, you know, fix it but I can help you find ways to manage it and make, make your, yourself be more comfortable with living every day instead of being like afraid to get up in the morning and go to work and just do your basic things. So that was a, that was a big hit because I kind of went into the therapy thinking I was going to fix myself, but she's like, no, it's not a, you're not fixing anything. This is how you're built. This is what you are. Yeah. We have to navigate through those waters a bit. Yeah. I love that. Cause you're not broken. And I think, right. And for myself, that was a really big thing with my depression is I felt broken. And I think a lot of people listening right now probably feel the same way. I have, if I have anxiety or addictions or OCD or whatever the heck it is, I'm broken. But that's not the case. You are you. 
and you are fabulous being whoever the heck it is that you are and we're all different right some of us struggle with certain things that other people might not but that's okay right we all have our quirks as they say oh i like that yes we all have our quirks <laughs> yeah. yes like <laughs> it says like my hero academia <laughs> an anime <laughs> so what other coping strategies did you learn so once you learned that you know it was okay to be you how did you cope with that um so like i said that that took me a few weeks to really wrap my head around the not being broken part um but then what we really did was i i kind of spent the first six months really unloading <clears throat> excuse me um unloading a lot of the the thoughts and feelings and experiences that that kind of rattled me over the course of my life and that was everything going back to like i said my leg injury to you know my 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 dad doing all of his various things and his alcoholism and his um other things he was doing to us as a family um but i just it felt good to just unload it because it no longer was just me sitting with it it was like it's out there it's yes. it's, it's there um so that in itself made me feel better but then from there we really started kind of rewiring my brain because after the panic attack I, I basically, any feeling or emotion I had made me go right into like an anxiety attack. So we basically had to untangle all those like mesh together wires. Yeah. I had to kind of relearn how to feel like excited about something or, you know, laugh about something or see something emotional on TV and you can like, you know, shed a tear, like all these different feelings. I almost had to like relearn them or learn them for the first time. So that was a pretty interesting process. And we did some um, EMDR sessions, which was kind of interesting. Um, I responded pretty, pretty heavily to those. And uh, first person to mention that. So can you tell everybody who's listening what the heck that is? So EMDR is, um, I'm going to blow the, the um, what stands. It's like, it's rapid eye movement therapy, basically. So what it does is they, the therapist gives you these two like little tickers that you hold on to with each hand and they set a certain pace that they vibrate or light up and um, a set, you know, continuum. So as you're going through certain thoughts and feelings, and actually I had to do mine with my eyes closed because it was just more comfortable that way. Um, what it does is it, it basically brings about certain things that you weren't previously aware about by forcing both sides of your brain to kind of cohesively in the moment. Um, so we uncovered a lot of really cool things during those treatments. And I only did maybe five or six of them, but they really set the stage for like each phase of my therapy. So it was, it was a really, really interesting process because, you know, me just saying it, it sounds kind of like silly, but being in the moment and going through it, it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. So, um, you know, I would. Cool. Yeah. I've never experienced that one. I've heard bits and pieces about it, but I've mm -hmm. never like, I haven't done that one. So that was really cool that you are able to share that. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Would you like me to share that? Oh, my kid sitting here drawing. <laughs> Let me rip off this little piece of paper because it's got all my notes on it. Share this with everybody. There you go. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I can do. Well, he's an artist. He's got his own little little art business going on. So there you go. He, you inspired him to draw this fairly creepy face. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, so 
that was really cool that you learned that. And then from there, what did you learn? Well, I was still having a really hard time at work because, you know, the fact that I had the panic attack at work, really, like when you revisit the same people and spot that it happened with, that's always kind of traumatic. Um, so it took me a couple of years to really get back into the things at work and be comfortable, you know, um, doing my, my healthcare professional duties and all that. Um, so we really focused on things like um, on breathing techniques, mindfulness um, really went a long way. We tried doing meditation and, and um, progressive muscle relaxation, but uh, she said, and I can't remember exactly how she phrased it, but she said something about with certain people that have PTSD, they can actually trigger you. Um, so you yeah. have to be careful with it. And that, yeah, that you're sitting with your thoughts, right? Right. So, so, so I tried. Yeah, I tried it and it didn't work well for me. So we focused, like I said, mostly on just the mindfulness and the the breathing, um, the like deep breathing exercises and such. And I think that's a really good point for everybody to realize. And I said it probably almost every episode <laughs> is that what works for one person might not work for another person. And that's why it's so important that I'm talking to real life people. Like I'm not talking to doctors, although there are a few doctors I've written books that will be on the show at some point. Um, but I'm talking to real people who have learned what works for them and can say, you know, this worked, this didn't. But it doesn't mean that this thing that didn't work for me might not work for somebody else. And that is such an important part of the process of learning how to manage your mental health is figuring out what works. And if you try something and it doesn't work, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you're just starting this journey and that's the first time, first thing that you've tried and you're like, oh, it doesn't work. Don't give up. Right. Try something else. That is the key to it all. Got to keep at it and you'll find something. Exactly. Um, so those are some really great strategies. And I'm assuming that you still use them to this day. Every day. Yep. And now one last thing that I wanted to bring us back to is you mentioned medication way back when. And <laughs> another big part of the show is to try and normalize the fact that some people need to take medication. I take mine every day. My kid takes his every day. Right. <laughs> My husband takes his, although his is insulin, not uh, mental health. A little, little different. <laughs> A little bit different, but the point still stands that sometimes we need it. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey, figuring out what worked for you in that regard? So I had been on propranolol, which is a, a blood pressure medication um, for about maybe 10 years prior to the panic attack. And it was something I'd use through college because there, there'd be certain times I'd be giving presentations to the entire you know, um, exercise science and other department heads like in a big auditorium, like really big presentations and somebody with my level of anxiety, it's not a, not a good mix. So I took the propranolol from my primary care doctor um, and that helped me through. It didn't fix anything, but it, it helped me through. Okay. So once I had the panic attacks and I was still kind of, again, struggling with where I needed to be, um, had leftover uh, propranolol. And what I was doing was I was, I had taken, I had gotten some Xanax from the cardiologist and I had taken my leftover propranolol. And, and this is going to sound bad because again, I'm a healthcare professional, you know, thinking I knew better. <laughs> than what I, I should have, you know, admitted to myself at that point. Um, I was taking about, I'd say about 200 milligrams of 
propranolol, which was about 10 pills. And then I was taking two Xanax just to get through each day. Wow, that pretty is bad. a lot. That was pretty, pretty bad. And um, I just remember not feeling much, which I think was the goal at that point, but I knew it couldn't continue. And then eventually my wife kind of just saw me struggling again. And she said to me, like, you gotta, you gotta go see the psychiatrist. Like it's, this isn't working. Yeah. When I went to the psychiatrist, he's the best in the area. He's, he's an awesome guy. Oh, good. Um, he put me on a low dose of um, Lexapro, which actually is a half a dose, a half a starter dose. Oh, okay. Scaled back the propranolol I was doing. And I responded extremely well to it. So the, again, even, even like, um, even just the half a starter dose of the Lexapro was like a lifesaver. It made me feel like a different person yeah. and it was such a small shot. And then I also take, um, uh, Trazodone to help me sleep at night because that's just been a chronic issue. Like I said, since my leg injury, mm-hmm. but, uh, but just, you know, they, but they're all, they're all either starter doses or half starter doses of everything I'm taking really. Yeah. And it made a huge, huge difference. And I'm, I'm at the point now, and I have been for the last couple of years, where I'm, I'm comfortable enough to be in anxiety-producing situations and odd circumstances, but being able to manage myself for the most part. It's, it's like I said, night and day compared to what it was before that. That's amazing. And that's the same thing for me when I started taking my antidepressants. It was just a complete change in how I felt. And it was like, oh, I want to do the day. I'm excited right. for the day. This is, this is, wow, what is this? <laughs> so it's, it's a great thing. And yeah, like you said, sometimes you only need this itty bitty dose, which is great. And some people need more because again, everybody's different, but it's so important for people to realize that if you don't try, you will never know. Right. And with medication, it can be a long journey. So with my kid, I mean, first they said it was ADHD. So we were on that, then um, found out autism. So they were trying out some antipsychotics, which is not a direct link because there's no actual medication for autism. And it wasn't that we're trying to fix away the autism, but there was violent meltdowns involved and a lot of behavior. And that's what we were trying to manage. So tried a bunch of different antipsychotics none of those work some of them made them worse (laughs) and finally finally we found um that the the type of antidepressant was what worked best and it managed the anxiety and once the anxiety was managed the behaviors were managed (laughs) so it can be a really long journey we probably probably good five six years i think yeah long long he's hiding out in the corner over here Um, (laughs) so a long long time it took to to figure it out so it's so important for people to realize that it's not a quick fix we can be lucky that something we've tried works like I was lucky the first thing that we tried worked we had to play with the dosage but the pill itself was good but that's the way it is for everybody and it's so important for people to realize that and also when you get off the pills that didn't work they don't the symptoms don't go away like that. Yes. Yeah. If, when you're coming off of pills too, you need to be very careful because they Correct. are mind altering medications, right? They're trying to help the, the chemicals in your brain. So you have to be very careful also when you're coming off or switching them, which, right. you know, I'm going to wag my finger at you because clearly 
<laughs> that was an issue for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I, I have to wag my finger at myself too. Cause one time um, I decided that I felt so good. I didn't need my antidepressants anymore and didn't Ooh. talk to my doctor and tell him and just stop. took yourself off, you know, no biggie. <laughs> <laughs> my kid didn't even know that. Yes, really. Um, so, I mean, I'm wagging my finger at myself too. All right. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that is why from experience, I can tell people don't just do it yourself, right? right. Talk to the doctor. And if you feel like you don't want to be on medication anymore, talk to them, figure that out. Absolutely. Right. And sometimes you get off and then go, Oh, maybe I better go back on. <laughs> right. But no, it's always important to really get your plan of care and check with all your, your healthcare professionals. It, it, yeah. it is a very, very important part of things. Exactly. So what would you tell somebody who's listening right now, who's dealing with life just being hard all the time? Uh, it's, it's okay to feel however you're feeling. Um, and I know that sounds very simplistic, but it's true. I think that's the first step with any process of either recovery or just managing your, your basic everyday emotions. Like it's okay to feel stressed. It's okay to be angry or or sad, you know, it's, it's fine. We're built to be emotional creatures. Um, but when you, you start to feel that they're kind of interrupting your daily life and you're, you're struggling, and I know it's kind of scary to admit that you need help, but just, just remember there's always, um, there's always a, an opportunity for you to, to get the help you need to find the right people to help you. So just don't, don't be afraid to admit where you are and what you need, really. Be kind of be true to yourself. That is great advice. And now tell us about your books. Where can we find them? I know you mentioned the, the title of them, but you didn't really tell us what they were about. So give us a little bit, just a little snippet. Sure. So um, I wrote my first book, Preternatural, and it's the first book in a trilogy. Um, the sequel, Preternatural Evolution, just got published uh, just a little under a month ago. Right. <laughs> so um, Going back to my childhood real quick, you know, one of the, the coping mechanisms I used for, for many years, and like I said before, it took me a long time to get the first book put together. Yeah. Um, you know, writing was kind of the only thing I could do to really take all those emotions I was feeling and put them onto paper and kind of get them out because I couldn't necessarily talk about them. So writing was the next best thing. So I spent quite a while just putting down emotions on paper and then again, eventually kind of putting characters to the emotions and starting to develop like, well, how would these, this character uh, interact with this character? And just, it just was like a long process, but I would piece uh -oh. it together. And I came up with, um, you know, again, not sleeping well for, for most of my young life. I was always up late watching movies that would, you know, scare the hell out of anybody late at night. And, you know. I love horror movies. Right, right, exactly. I was just glued to the TV, and even though I was petrified, I was like, I have to keep watching. Yes. Um, so I, I always- like when you do the, the cover your eyes, but right. <laughs> put a pillow over your face. <laughs> yeah. But, I, but I, I watched a lot of horror movies. And again, growing up kind of in the, uh, the 80s and early 90s, that was kind of, in my opinion, one of the best periods for horror movies. Yes. You know, oh, hell yeah. Right, right. They're, they're fantastic. You have, you know, uh, uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and you have- uh, um, just, just so many movies, like any 80s movie that's a horror movie you watch is going to be good in some way. Yeah. You know, like 
it, they're, they're all great, but I used to, I watched all of them and growing up, I was a big fan of horror. And like I said, when I started really putting together ideas for a story, I, I came to the conclusion, like it needs to be horror because I, I have a lot of weird things in my life that can be very scary. And I, I feel like I can really come up with some interesting characters yeah. um, and really have like a, an intriguing kind of story going. So I, um, I put together Preternatural and it's based on this town called Meadowsville. And the reason I named it Meadowsville was it always made me laugh when you watch movie, uh, like play video games like Resident Evil or you watch like the Powerpuff Girl cartoons. They have these like goofy names like Raccoon City yeah. and Townsville. Yeah. Um, so I picked Meadowsville because that's kind of how the terrain of the town is set up. And it's this big perfect town, um, you know, great economy, lots of high paying jobs, beautiful spot. Um, but there's a lot of kind of corruption and negligence going on. Are a couple of creatures roaming this town, and they're they're vampire-like, but they're not completely vampires. They're leading into other things, but you know, for the sake of the first the first uh, you know two books, they're more vampire. Um, and the township is aware of you know the creatures there, and they kind of let it happen because they almost market it like you know some of these like mountain towns and stuff, and like Washington, they have like their whole. Um, profit base and everything based off like, oh, we have big Bigfoot sightings here and yes, yeah. monster sightings and scholars. It's yeah. set up like that, but this this um, urban legend is like, there's actually people have seen the creature. Um, it's been in the town as long as the town's been in existence and it has a certain like tradition of, you know, killing citizens and uh, going after certain people so for certain intrigued. reasons. Yeah, so it's it's a cool idea, and 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 um, and each of the and what happens is as the, when the story picks up, I don't do a lot of origin stuff in the first book. I just always like stories where you're kind of like dropped headfirst into it. Yes, already happening, and then you figure out things as you're going. So the first book really follows you know a, a character David, which is very strongly based on you know what I grew up with as far as he he comes from a very abusive home. Um, has a lot of hard circumstances and he ends up uh, coming into contact with this creature and then they sort of develop a, a friendship of sorts but then it's it doesn't really go a certain way and it gets real there and then there's another citizen um, Christian who is a big part of the story he's uh, his parents were killed early on by this creature but he still lives in the town and he still harbors a lot of resentment and Christian I is feel a like I would move yeah, so so the thing is, and I do, I do explore it in the town, and actually the funny thing is, certain places and, and cities and towns I've worked in over the years and even lived in, there there is a, an extreme amount of like negligence out there where people will just let dangerous things happen because like, oh, that's, that's just how so-and-so is, or oh, this guy beats his wife. Yeah, oh, really. He drinks and, you know, molests his kids, like, like these really horrible things, mm -hmm. so passive with it, to not interrupt like just you know, the town's flow. Yeah. And, um, like I said, I've seen some really crazy stuff over the years. So obviously I took a little bit of liberties with this, but. Sure. Um, and it's your book, you can. Right, but, but you know, it, it's who's to say it wouldn't happen if something like that was happening and everybody was making a profit and the town looks great, but okay, a few people get killed here and there, it's fine. Um, so, you know, like I said, these, these, uh, these couple of citizens all coming from their own traumatic backgrounds begin uh, engaging this creature and it really 
as they're uncovering, you know, the secrets about the town and why a town is set up a certain way and even figuring out the creature's origins, they're, they're learning a lot about themselves. And it gets really deep into things like there's a lot of symbolism, there's a lot of, um, um, especially towards the second and third books, there's a lot of uh, religious themes in it. Um, and it, it really just helps, you know, develop everything a certain way so that it's not only just a great horror story, but it also is like a, it's a unique story because it reflects, like I said, a lot of things I've experienced. Yeah. To me, if I don't know the characters, if I don't know what they're feeling or what they would do, like, how am I going to write them? It's uh, true. But it's, like I said, whether you want to read it to surface level as a horror story, it's, it's great that way. Or if you want to really dive into it and look at some of the symbolism and some of the links of the characters and, and how things are happening, there's a lot of hidden gems in there too. So it's each cool. read come away with your own different take of it, which I think was kind of a cool way I wrote it. Yeah. I just want to awesome. say right now, when she gets your books, she's going to do a big ass happy dance. <laughs> well, I have them. I have to get them. <laughs> That's why you did a happy dance. <laughs> Knows me so well. Love me so well. Um, and where can people get a copy of this? So they're on Amazon right now. Um, I believe Ingram Sparks is the other spot you can pick them up on. Um, those are the two big spots. And then I'm on, uh, I'm on, you know, Goodreads and BookBub, and um, my uh, my wife oversees my social media stuff, so I'm on. <laughs> Instagram and uh, and Facebook, um, all, all the major social media pages. I have at least a page for myself as an author or the, the book as well. Wonderful. And those links will be down in the description below so that awesome. people Thank can you. find you, follow you, get a hold of some horror. <laughs> so thank you so much for being on the show and sharing. No, thank, thank you. This has been, this has been awesome. Um, really, I, I appreciate it so much. What a great interview that was. I had so much fun talking to Peter. And if you are part of the Patreon, then you can see some behind the scenes footage where I talk to Peter a little bit more, a little bit more about horror stuff, which is so much fun. And a little bit more about the fact that he has a third book because his books are a trilogy. And that's going to be released, I think he said kind of this year, like he, he said he's in the process and it's almost finished. So be sure to head on over to that Patreon page because I'm going to be posting that at some point. I'm not going to guarantee when, um, but be sure to check to see if it is posted, my conversation with Peter. And if you are not part of the Patreon page, why not? <laughs> it's okay. No hard feelings. Now, be sure to hit that like and subscribe button here at the channel as well. Check out those links in the description below. Be sure to follow Peter and that way you are going to be informed as to when that third book drops because, I mean, if you have the first two, you got to read the third one, right? You got to see how it ends. And of course, remember that the only way to end the stigma of mental health is to speak openly and honestly.